welcome to the podcast, Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path, and I'm your host, Mike Allen. You know, not many people are aware of the fact that there was a battle in western Connecticut early on in the Civil War. Now, it wasn't the traditional North versus South battle that you're probably thinking, but the Battle of Charcoal Run did get several hundred residents of two neighboring towns fighting against each other. The towns were Danbury and New Fairfield, and it's an intriguing tale. Well, here to tell the story are historical experts from each community, Bridget Girton, Danbury Museum and Historical Society Executive Director, and Keith Murata, the Vice President of the New Fairfield Historical Society. And now, the Civil War Battle of Charcoal Run, Danbury versus New Fairfield. Well, as everybody knows, the Civil War split the young United States along economic and ideological lines, characterized, of course, primarily by the issue of whether slavery should be legal or not. You know, the war killed a mind-numbing 620,000 Americans, which was 2% of the entire population back in those days. Slavery had been practiced in the North, of course, for many years, but the sentiment about one race of humans only another had shifted, at least in the North. In the South, slaves worked on plantations, mostly doing agricultural work. When the North tried to enforce an anti-slavery agenda... There were roughly a dozen southern states that seceded from the Union and formed the Confederacy. Well, in April of 1861, the Confederacy fired on Fort Sumter off the South Carolina coast, and they forced the Union to surrender the fort. With that, the Civil War was underway. And just three months later, in July of 1861, it was the first major skirmish of the war, the First Battle of Bull Run in Virginia, and it saw Confederate forces overrun Union soldiers. In just that one day, though, think about this, 850 soldiers were killed and 2,700 were wounded just one day. Well, some of the Union soldiers who were in that first battle were from Danbury, and a month after the battle, on August 24th, 1861, several of them were having a few drinks at the Worcester House Hotel Bar, which was at the corner of Main and White Streets in downtown Danbury in the day. Now, as can happen, some of the soldiers became quite loud. They were bragging about their prowess at Bull Run. Now, this reportedly led one civilian to say, quote, Tell you what, Zeb, you think you're such great soldiers. Why don't you go up to New Fairfield and tear down that peace flag them copperheads have set up there? Peace flags had started to pop up all over Connecticut, and the issue was a major political hot potato. It followed the rather contentious election for governor in 1860. The Democrat was Thomas Seymour, and he was arguing against involvement in the Civil War, his point being that he thought it was a waste of money and lives to try and force southern states back into the Union when they didn't want to be there. The Republican was William Buckingham, and he was in favor of the war effort, as pushed by his party's standard-bearer, a gentleman named Abraham Lincoln. Well, Buckingham, the Republican who favored the war, beat Seymour with just 50.3% of the vote. So as you can see, the population was split, the mood was contentious, and Democrats had a new nickname given to them by Republicans, Copperheads. Debates raged in community town hall meetings around the state with Republicans breaking up meetings of copperheads and ripping up the white surrender flags. 
Now, reportedly the first town to hoist this white anti-war flag was Ridgefield, but there were many others, Bridgewater, Brookfield, Newtown, and Cornwall Bridge, just to name a few. Democrats kept raising the peace flags, and Republicans just as quickly tried to take them down. In most cases, incidents just involved a war of words or maybe a little shoving, but on that August day, there would be three incidents around the state of Connecticut, with the Danbury and New Fairfield encounter agreed to be by far the most serious of them all. Now, while nobody was killed, there were several serious head injuries after the persons inside the Worcester House Hotel bar decided to take up that civilian challenge. For the record, the other two incidents that day involved the destruction of a Democratic newspaper printing press belonging to the Bridgeport farmer, and pro-war veterans from Bridgeport marched 10 miles north to Stepney to tear down a peace flag there. Well, inside that Worcester House Hotel bar, Captain Tom Skinner was in town looking for recruits from Danbury for his new military regiment. When the challenge was ultimately issued inside the bar, Skinner agreed to lead the effort up to New Fairfield to take down that peace flag. Now, it was a five-mile hike up the current-day Route 37, so a contingent of about 50 men, many of them quite inebriated, made their way up to New Fairfield, where roughly 200 folks were waiting for them, many of them armed with farming utensils. We pick up the Danbury side of the story with Bridget Girton, executive director of the Danbury Museum and Historical Society, who says that the political mood at the time caused very strong divisions among Northerners. You have an awful lot of push and pull in Connecticut, in the Northeast, you have a growing number of people who don't like the cost, don't like the idea of the war. New York Times, I think, gave them the name of Copperheads. And so that's often used derisively to talk about those who don't want to spend the money, who don't want to send the men. It did not necessarily mean pacifists. Sometimes it's confused with that. So you've got a pacifist movement. You have Copperheads who blame the abolitionists for getting us into this rather expensive endeavor. You have people who just don't want to see their sons go and their husbands. You have equally, and, and more so actually, people who are fervently behind the belief of doing uh, whatever they can to further the aims of the Union. So there's a lot of back and forth. Danbury was a highly patriotic town. And they expressed that patriotism by joining up over and over and over again. So every time the state of Connecticut called for a certain number of men for, to build this group, to build that group, to build that company, to join into the war effort, Danbury is sending men, uh, often um, beating our quota over and over again at the beginning of the war. So the incident that you're talking about, a charcoal run, was not the only time that uh, there's an expression of pacifism in some way within the greater Danbury community. The idea, um, the basis of it is that these gentlemen are back from the war. They'd served for only a few months, and they're telling stories in a local tavern. And, well, stories lead to bravado, which leads to a discussion about pacifism and someone mentioning to the group that there was a flag up in New Fairfield. And so everyone had a couple drinks to fortify themselves for the excursion and head up to New Fairfield. I would not say this is one of Danbury's most shining and stellar moments. Really, it was a mob and there was a mob mentality. And we are very, very lucky that no one was seriously injured or killed. It was ugly. 
and they march to New Fairfield where this flag is up and they are soundly defeated, beaten back by the New Fairfielders, some of whom were not even pacifists. They just really disliked the idea of anybody from Danbury telling them what to do. Fair enough. Not our town. <laughs> really, what were we doing there? Those gentlemen were soundly beat, sent back with their tails between their legs. And two days later, two other gentlemen apparently go up, they have a conversation, and, and the flag comes down. So in the end, that expression of dissent was removed. But it didn't really remove all of that expression and that feeling from the greater Danbury, New Fairfields, New Milford community. By and large, throughout the remainder of the war, Danbury's almost 100% behind the war effort. But there will always be one or two voices saying, hey, should we be doing this? You know, what is the cost in terms of men? And as the time went on and Danbury lost more and more of its young men, there was more and more of that discussion. According to what I've heard, two of the New Fairfield defenders actually shortly thereafter joined the Union Army and went to battle. So like you say, they weren't all pacifists. They were more just defending the honor of their town, I think. Yes. How dare this crazy mob of Danbarians come up and tell them what to do? I mean, maybe they weren't happy with the flag. I'm not sure. I wasn't there. But I can say that having an angry mob of liquored up veterans and, and again, this is a small number. Uh, there were a lot of people who sat on fences and, and just watched the action. So it's a small group of people behaving badly and imposing their will on another community. Phineas Crosby was the right-hand man to Skinner, who was the leader of this group. And Skinner was an out-of-towner who happened to be at the bar trying to recruit some Danbury guys for his latest regiment. So he volunteered to lead this as this started going, and Phineas Crosby, who I believe Crosby Street is named after, went up there, and it is said that Phineas Crosby was the first one back in Danbury, so I'm not sure how that all worked. I think it's a long walk from Main Street to New Fairfield, so there might have been some sobering up along the way, the opportunity to reevaluate your choices, as we would say today. So, like I said, not everybody who went up were active or perhaps rethought things before they got too out of control. Well, maybe one of the other interesting parts of this is that supposedly they actually marched right by a Danbury bar at the corner of Main and North Street that also had a white peace flag up and walked right by there just to go up to New Fairfield to teach a lesson up there is sort of how it goes. Well, there were a lot of, well, I saw it happen, I was there, I witnessed them leave. So there were a lot of anecdotal stories. And I don't know that one in particular, but it doesn't surprise me. You know, this is a mob who was on a mission and possibly didn't have the best eyesight uh, <laughs> either after imbibing as much as they supposedly did. Meantime, on the New Fairfield side, the vice president of the New Fairfield Historical Society, Keith Murata, fills in that side of the equation. New Fairfield, as I understood it, when the Danbury mob approached, they had some sort of advance word and had managed to assemble some people near where the mob was coming up on, I guess, uh, Route 37. How did that go? They said that the dust cloud could be seen for miles. I mean, I could just imagine them coming from 37 and then turning onto what is presently Sawmill Road. I think word of mouth got around because of, to be honest, a lot of the people who were coming into New Fairfield from Danbury 
we're really the kind of the higher society. You know, I know a lot of people use the term they were, you know, hanging out at a bar and a bunch of, you know, locals just go and decide to take down a flag. But the people who were coming from Danbury were a lot of the um, the bigwigs or the big names. You know, these were not small people coming in. They were Danbury's upstanding citizens coming to New Fairfield. Now, they come up 37. They get to Sawmill Road, which is, uh, I think at the time they called that uh, Hopkins Hill or, or something. And, of course, in those days, much different than today because of the deforestation and you could see much further. The way I heard it was when they got to that point to make the turn on the sawmill, they could actually see the flag or come pretty close to seeing the flag from where they stood. When I drive it today, I find that hard to believe. Uh, put me straight on that. No, and it's funny you say that because I try to, you know, walking in the woods around uh, these neighborhoods and the neighborhoods in New Fairfield, I could imagine just up over the crest of the hill, you might be able to see the flag. Like you're saying, the, the forest, the trees there didn't exist. And and where um, Hopkins property is, was really the heart and soul of New Fairfield. That's where the sawmill was, where the, where the carriage factory was. So I would say I'm pretty sure that maybe not exactly when they got to, I, I use the term, the October house. I think that they would have had to start their way down the hill. But I think they would have definitely been able to see uh, the flag flying just after they crested and turned on from 37. Now, let's talk about the guy whose property this was, Stephen Barnum Hopkins. He was an official of the town, I think the town clerk. So he had also on his property at that point some sort of business, and the sawmill was across the street. And was this called the charcoal-run property in those days? I believe it was, and it was called charcoal-run from the existence of several operating coal mounds that lined the brook that he was on. Now, Stephen Hopkins is, as I understand it, he's 72. He's got a 62-year-old wife, Chloe. They have put up this peace flag because they say, look, this is silly that we're going into the southern states trying to force them back into the Union. And that was sort of the uh, political winds of the day in New Fairfield and elsewhere. Did he have any idea that he was going to cause this kind of ruckus? We believe that no, he didn't. These were popping up throughout the state a lot. And New Fairfield was predominantly Democrats. In 1860, Connecticut election, Danbury backed the Republicans. So there were a lot more, I guess the term is copperheads. Those would be like traders. They called them Tories that resided in New Fairfield who wanted peace. And you can understand why the Danbarians, I'll use that term, came down upset. A lot of these individuals who came to the Battle of Charcoal Run were veterans of the Battle of Bull Run. Battle of Charcoal Run occurred August 24th, 1861, and the Battle of Bull Run was July 21st, 1861. So these gentlemen witnessed horrific things on that battlefield only to come home and you know, realize that somebody down the street from them is flying a, a peace flag. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I get you. And like you say, I mean, that was probably one of the topics of discussion at the Worcester Bar before everybody made their way up north into New Fairfield. But, you know, I want to go back to the 200 people who were waiting for them. I understand that they brought shovels and crowbars and pitchforks and things like that. I mean, they were ready for battle. Yeah, they were. They were definitely ready to defend the flag. 
a lot of the people from New Fairfield, they were definitely ready to defend. In one of the articles we have, it was said that somebody from New Fairfield, Todd Chase from New Fairfield, said it stays where it is and will plant you fellows as deep as the pole if you try to take it down. So they were pretty serious. So supposedly, as the story goes, Captain Skinner, who was the leader of this party, addressed the crowd around the flag saying, you know, you should take down this treasonous flag. This doesn't have a place here. And there's a couple different stories as to who climbed, but there was an individual who tried to climb the flagpole. They were dragged down. Pretty consistently, both of the stories, though, said that an individual tried to climb twice. And after the second time, that's when the fist started to fly. Shovels were swung. I mean, there were some people pretty banged up from getting hit in the head with a shovel. Now, one of the interesting things, I mean, the, the Danburians, you know, we'll call them that for now, retreated. They went into, I guess, local barns and sort of tended to the wounded and tried to figure out what their next step was, which was the following morning, I guess, hightailing it back to Danbury with a failure written on the mission. Yes, some of them spent the night in a blacksmith shop, emerging the following morning of what some people said with charcoal faces. What's even, I think, more, not upsetting, but I think what drew a lot of concern is that Captain Skinner and Phineas Crosby made it back to Danbury that night. But many of the people who attended with them did not, leaving their families to believe that they were seriously injured, only to return the next morning. I mean, this is before, you know, the Internet. This is before a cell phone. So you bring a bunch of people into a town to tear down a peace flag and only a couple people come back. I would imagine that would be very frightening, especially for some of those individuals who had family members that they didn't know where they were. Supposedly, the band of Danburians passed a peace flag in Danbury on the way to New Fairfield, and nothing happened. Yeah, I heard that too. There's a, there was a bar on the corner of North Street and Main Street, and they went right by that to go up Route 37, which is how you get up Route 37 today from Exit 5. Correct. Yes, that's from a couple different pieces of evidence that it's like, okay, well, why did they only request it taken down in New Fairfield and not Danbury? Exactly. Nathan Terrell was the gentleman who owned the bar where the Danbury contingent was imbibing before they went north to New Fairfield. And my understanding is that Terrell also owned another bar in the city, but he was the son-in-law of Hopkins, the town clerk in New Fairfield. In fact, had married his daughter, and he's you know serving up the, the liquor to the people who would later go and attack that property. That's pretty amazing. I did not know that there was a connection there. That's pretty, that's very fascinating. And then the other thing is that the guy who owned the bar at Maine and North was a guy named Wilson Porter. And he apparently, after all this was done, went up and saw Hopkins and convinced him to remove the flag. And he then took down the flag and gave it to Elias Cromwell, who was single-handedly guarding the bridge over the brook that day of the event. The documents that I've seen has Elias Cromwell receiving it. We also have one paper that was written by a gentleman named Logan Hepner, who says that the flag was actually taken down and given to the Gaylordsville Historical Society, where it remains in their archives. Now, I have reached out to the Gaylordsville Historical Society to ask them about, have they ever seen a flag? And I have gotten um, 
little response from them. Well, we can only hope that a peaceful resolution to reclaiming the flag can be secured, lest we wind up with the modern-day saga of pitchforked farmers from New Fairfield making their way to Gaylordsville to reclaim what they most likely believe to be theirs. wraps up this episode of Amazing Tales from Off and On, Connecticut's Beaten Path. Like so many things in local history, it's almost unfathomable to think that there was this outbreak of violence over Civil War issues when, today, you stand at the location of Charcoal Run in New Fairfield. It takes quite an imagination to think what it must have been like that day. I'd like to thank my two guests for this episode, Danbury Museum and Historical Society Executive Director Bridget Girton and New Fairfield Historical Society Vice President Keith Murata. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll be notified when the next episode is coming. Also, I do presentations on the topics I discuss on Amazing Tales. I do in-person and Zoom talks. I'd be happy to discuss an appearance with your group, and all you have to do is drop me a line at amazingtalesct at gmail.com. Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. This is Mike Allen. Be safe, and please stay healthy.